This is a Reconstructionist Radio production. Please visit calcedon.edu. That's C-H-A-L-C-E-D-O-N dot E-D-U to download this book in PDF format or to purchase this book. The Cure of Souls, Recovering the Biblical Doctrine of Confession by Rusus John Rushduni. Copyright 2007, Mark R. Rushduni. Published by Calcedon Ross House Books. P.O. Box 158, Vallecito, California, 95251. All rights reserved. The Cure of Souls, Recovering the Biblical Doctrine of Confession by R.J. Rushdini. Chapter 21, Counseling and Goals. Definitions of counselling vary, and the definitions are good indicators of the presuppositions of the counsellors. Thus, the counsellor may be assumed to have, as a pastor, Christian premises, but this is far from the truth in many cases. Thus, a Presbyterian pastor spoke of directive counselling as authoritarian. In contrast, according to James Emerson, those whose counselling is non-directive, quote, tend to miss their responsibility for setting the limits within which the interviews will take place. End quote. However, Emerson added, quote, if the dangers are recognised, I personally favour the non-directive approach. End quote. In the hands of some, this non-directive approach varies from a semi-Quaker inner light concept to an existentialist emphasis on the relative and personal nature of truth. Since World War II, the number of people seeking counselling has increased greatly. In a 1965 study, one out of seven American adults were said to have sought professional help for a personal problem, usually from a pastor or priest, a doctor, a clinic or a psychiatrist, psychoanalyst or psychologist. As of that date, 42% went to a clergyman, 29% to a medical doctor, 18% to psychotherapists and 10% to a clinic. There is no reason to believe that in the 1990s the numbers seeking pastoral help have decreased. First, the majority of Americans are still affiliated with a church and they therefore turn easily to the church. Some churches now have a counsellor on the staff. Second, the advantage of pastoral counselling to many people is economic. Pastoral counselling is usually free. I heard recently of an instance where a non-Christian woman, long under psychiatric care, has a monthly bill of $5,000, a sum far in excess of the salary of most clergymen and their parishioners. With this in mind, let us return to the question of the definition of counselling. A professor of pastoral psychology, Carol A. Wise, defined it thus, quote, Counselling is essentially communication, and as such is a two-directional process. It is not what the counsellor does to or for the counsellee that is important. The important thing is what happens between them. The pastor needs to know himself as well as to understand the dynamic processes of personality as they find expression in the counsellee. End quote. There are some interesting assumptions in this statement. 
At no point in this study does Wise touch on the derivation of counselling from the confessional. The relationship is a very real one, and the abandonment of confession and restitution gives modern counselling an alien orientation. It is now humanism, whether conducted in the church or out of it. The roadblock in humanistic counselling is repression, not sin. This leads us to the first observation about Wise's view. It is, quote, essentially communication and as such is a two-directional process, end quote. This limits the communication to the counsellor and the counsellee. In the historic confessional, Roman Catholic and Protestant, the, main, the man confessing confessed to God. The priest heard it, or the pastor listened, as God's agent. It was a privileged communication between the sinner and God, and hence the state could not intervene to compel a disclosure. As the Vatican Second Council began, I heard in a conversation a Catholic scholar deplore the likely decline of the Mass and the confessional and the increase of preaching. His view was that the priest should not be given the freedom to share his thinking, but should be strictly limited to an ordained structure that stressed faith, not understanding. To be limited to a priest's understanding instead of the historic forms of the faith was for him a potential threat to both faith and understanding. It is not necessary to agree with his views to recognise that in churches, Catholic and Protestant, both worship and counselling have, have become a two-directional process in which God is left out. Second, Wise held that the important thing in this two-directional process is what happens between them. If a man has stolen, killed or committed adultery, the important thing is not what happens between the guilty man and the pastor or priest, but whether or not the sinner is confronted by the word of God and his duty before God. It does not require empathy to tell a man he is a sinner. The counsellor may feel pity, anger, sorrow or more, but this is all irrelevant to the important fact. Has he borne witness to the law, grace and mercy of God? Wise's view is that the important thing is what happens between the counsellor and the counsellee is humanistic nonsense. The important thing is that God's requirements be faithfully set forth because reconciliation to God in Christ must be the goal of counselling. For the counsellor to be concerned about establishing a bond with the counsellee is intrusive and arrogant. The important fact is re-establishing God's order in a man's life. Anything else is at best secondary. Third, Wise spoke of the need of the pastor to know himself. This is not knowing much. Far more important is knowing and communicating the law word of God. In some evangelical circles, the counselling session begins and ends with prayer, but there is no systematic application of the law word of God. Prayer then becomes an appeal for the ratification of something done without reference to the law of God. Fourth, Wise held that the counsellor, besides knowing himself, must understand the dynamic processes of personality as they find expression in the counsellee. Especially after World War II, it became common to speak of anything that abandoned God's law word as dynamic. To be free from the limitations of God's law was 
seen as liberating, empowering and dynamic. Power ostensibly resides outside of God and in man. What are these dynamic processes of personality as they find expression in the counsellee? Are they not sin? And what is so dynamic about them? Such thinking is comparable to exalting sin. If the sinner's personality had such power, he would not be in the predicament that takes him to a counsellor. Four wise at the top of the list of dynamic processes are, quote, basic emotional needs for love, security, a sense of personal worth, belonging, achievement and autonomy, end quote. In most instances, the counsellee's problem is a will to hate while demanding love and honour. Why cater to sin? Security in sin is hardly a thing to be encouraged. A sense of personal worth leads to treating others with contempt, whereas in Christian counselling, the sinner must know himself to be a sinner before God. A minister strong on the doctrine of personal worth was ruthless towards all who disagreed with him or who were unorthodox in their faith. He held that thou shalt not commit adultery was a a concept belonging to an obsolete culture which treated women as property and hence saw adultery or fornication as a violation of property rights. His sense of personal worth was undeserved and ungodly. As for a sense of belonging, how can this be reconciled to autonomy? The source of man's sense of autonomy and his sin is his insistence on, on being his own God and law, from Genesis 3.5. It is a grim fact that the essence of sin, autonomy, is taught now as a great virtue. Man's desire for achievement is again in conflict with his will to sin, his insistence that my will be done and his will to destroy whatever is good. But Wise believes that without the satisfaction of these goals, the result is a sense of being hurt emotionally. This leads to anxiety and then to resentment, hostility and guilt. The sinner, however, needs to be hurt for his own good. If we do not hurt him with plain and biblical statements, God will in time hurt both him and us. Enough has been said to make it clear that humanistic counselling seeks not confession, restitution and restoration, but peace, harmony and humanistic goodwill. As a result, the counselling process is morally wrong. Wise, like others, wrote without reference to the law of God or to sin. Since these were not in his moral vocabulary, his work represented a part of the problem, not the cure. This is the end of chapter 21. The Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network brings to you a complete lineup of podcasts where you will hear practical and tactical theology. Our desire is not simply that you consume our shows, but that you also live out your faith in every area of life. We can talk all day long about these things, but if we fail to put them into practice, then we fail as ambassadors of Jesus Christ our King. Subscribe now to your favorite Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network shows, or you can subscribe to the Reconstructionist Radio Master Feed, where all of the content we produce, including the audiobooks and audio articles, will pop up as soon as they are available. And don't forget to visit ReconstructionistRadio.com 
to volunteer as a narrator, or to partner with this ministry financially. May the Holy Spirit stir you into action for Christ and His kingdom.